Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Frank Film Club. The film club where anything goes and everyone's welcome. Frank Film Club, take one. Hello everybody, welcome back to Frank Film Club. I'm Lowry and I'm here with my friends Maisie and Hannah and this week it's Christmas! So we have chosen a Christmas film for you this week, although it might be a film that a lot of you didn't realise was a Christmas film, but it is. We're watching Tangerine, which was released in 2015 um, and you might not have known, but it's set on Christmas Eve. So it's a Christmas film and that's what we're watching. It's directed by Sean Baker and it was written by Sean and Chris Burgosh as well. Um, and it's a story about two transgender women, Cindy and Alexandra, who are both sex workers in Santa Monica and Highland. Cindy finds out that her boyfriend has been cheating on her, so she basically just goes and hunts the girl and her boyfriend down and confronts them. It's uh, it's pretty mad. Cindy's played by Kiki Rodriguez and Alexandra is played by Maya Taylor. I love this film. I've wanted to do this on Film Club for quite a while. Uh, so what did you both think? I knew little to nothing about this movie before I watched it. And I just loved it I absolutely adored it just like the, the style of filmmaking like I've never watched anything like this um and I was just like thoroughly entertained and yeah just glued to the screen the whole time really really enjoyed it yes I feel a similar way I found it a little bit jarring with some of the different elements in there so I couldn't get like fully lost in the world However, as like an observer, I was aware that I was watching something fabulous, but I just wasn't able to like fully get lost in there. But I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys think about that. Okay. Well, one of my questions was going to be, did you find it jarring at all? Do you know what you found jarring or why you found it jarring? I think it was just so chaotic and the like the improv went around in circles just a little bit for me that I was just very aware that I was watching a performance of something that was very interesting and very well put together but I was just not able to I think it was just the chaos of it as well that I just wasn't able to like fully go with them I was just watching. I really get what you mean, because I guess like there is some like part of this style, which is like it feels like like a vlog type thing, even though like they're not the ones like recording it. But it's that kind of thing where you're like observing people's life lives and it, and it feels that style where it's like you it, it's not you, typically when it's shot like this, it doesn't it's not necessarily a narrative. Right. And so you're just like you're just engaging with it in a different way. Um, 
But maybe it's that style which actually like had me kind of glued. Um, I just found it like really unpredictable and um, I don't know, just really highly entertaining. Uh, I mean, I guess like at the beginning when it started and there's like those sort of solar flares on the lens and you just like get very quickly that it's shot on a different kind of camera, like I don't know, Larry, you've probably got the answers here, but like, I felt like, I don't know, it was on some kind of different camera. Um, I don't know, just immediately I felt, yeah, just like captivated by that, even though I, I do understand what you mean in terms of it being like a narrative. Maybe it's it's like a little bit more, yeah, jar, a jarring way to, to consume that. So I don't know how much you guys know about the actual making of this film, but... It was shot on an iPhone. I knew. No way. Did you not know? Larry told me a day ago. Oh, Maisie didn't know until I told her the other day, but I thought she might already know. (laughs) Guys, save it for the goddamn club. I know. know. Look at me, I'm pretending, I'm pretending. No way. Way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was shot on an iPhone 5S, which is very old well this was 2015 right so i mean it was cutting edge then well basically they they decided to shoot on the iphone like obviously like the fact that they shot an iphone kind of gives the film an edge anyway but it wasn't a choice because of that well it was basically a choice because it was such a low budget what was the budget well well actually I didn't didn't mean to bring this game on so quickly, but I did just... (laughs) I realised when looking at what this budget was is that I don't really know what film budgets are and in comparison to lots of other films. So I'm going to see if you can guess the budgets of some other films and then we'll look at this budget. Nice. So first of all, a film that was on in the same year as this film that won the Academy Award for Best Picture, Spotlight. Can we have any guesses on the uh, budget for that film in dollars? 20. I, I was going to say 15. Oh my God, Hannah, 20 million. Thank you very much. All right. Okay, so next one. Sound of Metal, which is a film that we uh, talked about a few weeks ago. Can we have any guesses on that one, please? Maybe I would say three, three to five. Should I just say four then? Yeah, I was going to say four as well. 5.4 million. Mm. Yeah, okay. And then <laughs> I just want to see what you think, June. What do you think the budget was for that? <laughs> oh my God. Oh, we're talking 150 million? It's 165 million for June, wow. which is so mad in comparison to these indies. And then Fast and Furious 9, an all time favorite. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> 225 million oh my good god they need to share it out a bit more anyway bringing that back to this film (laughs) we went on a big tangent there can you now guess what the budget was for this film 100,000 um i'm gonna say 40,000 no it was 100,000 damn you guys (laughs) Hannah you're so good at this sorry I'm sorry am I a financier (laughs) you're really good at this I'm actually surprised that it was that much, actually. I I think 40... I think it could be believable for, like, that and more. I I never really thought that you could make something for that little. But then I did meet this one director once, and he had said that he had made, like, 
films for like a ridiculously low budget and so then I yeah that's why I sort of went really really low but he's like you know no one gets paid it's not that much of a flex it's a bit you know yeah exactly (laughs) and I think something with this film is that they made sure that everyone did get paid not not much but they got paid like the minimum amount that you would get paid I think there's actually like some kind of agreement so yeah so it was really low budget they knew that that was what they were going to work with and that's where the iPhone idea came in because Sean was like out of favors for asking him to borrow nice kit and also if you get like even a DSLR camera um he was like even for that as soon as you've got these big lenses on you need an extra camera person on to like do the focus or whatever so uh, he was like for like one or or just two people to be operating the camera iphone was the best way to go which is mad yeah that is crazy so so like in my head i'm imagining like literally running around with a camera like this but how do you focus like did they still have did, do you just have to hope that it focuses on the right thing and then do it again and again and again and that's what I'm not massively sure and I think they the focus was quite like why so there wasn't like it was like usually most things were in focus and they had these like anamorphic uh, lenses that they'd fix onto the iPhone and then they had a steady cam like thing to hold it as well because obviously it's so light that you otherwise you just be like so yeah but right so obviously yes I get that that it was like the budget that they had to um compromise with the kit I still think that it was a choice for them to shoot on an iPhone people have kit like they're filmmakers somebody would have had some sort of kit for them to shoot on so it still was a choice even though it was like forced a little bit by their budget constraints and that was like the, the the one, wasn't it? Tangerine was like the one that was like, oh my God, have you seen that film? It's like shot on an iPhone. I mean, but he did he did say that even with something that was a little bit more of a camera camera, you would need more crew and they couldn't afford that because he shot it. That's wild. Yeah. And, and actually it isn't the only film that's been shot on an iPhone. Um, there was, I think there were some others around that time. There's probably definitely been more since, but it, it was just really successful. But I think that is due to the story as well. I think it's like, in my opinion, it's a really great film. I, th- I love the story. Yeah, I think all the elements together create what it should all be together. And I think without that, without that being shot on, a, on an iPhone, yeah, maybe it wouldn't have been the same. I want to tell you some facts about how the story came about and how, yeah, just how the story came about because um, it all started from Sean living nearby um, but and, and knowing that he wanted to do a film which was a story based in uh, Santa Monica and Highland but he didn't know, he didn't want to go in there with Chris. They planned on writing it together. They didn't want to go in as like two cisgender white men with a script of a place that they didn't know um so they went in and kind of just like started hanging out there a bit and trying to get to know the the area and trying to like meet some people and that's where they met Maya who plays Alexandra and they were like this is what we're trying to do we want to do this project we don't really know what it's going to be yet but we're just trying to like immerse ourselves and she was like cool like I'm up for helping I like I can show you people and places um and she was just really up for it but she was like but if I'm going to be a part of this project um 
you need to promise two things. It's I it's got to be brutally honest and it's got to be absolutely hilarious because that's just how it is. Like that's just how it is here. Um so they were like, Okay, yes, we'll do it. And I, at this point she wasn't definitely cast or anything. She was just there to like help. Um and she introduced them to all these places and people and eventually introduced them to Kiki, who plays Cindy. Um and then at that point, they started writing the treatment once they felt that they like knew enough. And then they were getting feedback from Kiki and, and Maya on the treatment. And then they wrote the script. And it was always like really getting loads of feedback from the girls. Um, so it's like rocks. Yeah, so true. If you don't know that world, then you need to meet the people who know the world to bring the story. Because otherwise, how is it going to be, be real? That is very cool. Yeah, so so they said that they wanted it to be like brutally honest. How much of the story or how much of their characters is like real? Well, um, Maya, she said that she she was a sex worker in the past. I don't know about Kiki. And like some of the trans people in the movie were also sex workers in the past, but, but not everybody was and like that's not always the case for everybody. So definitely for... Maya. I have a feeling that a lot of her character was quite based on her from what was said. Kiki said that she was quite different to Cindy because she was like, Cindy's like way more confident than I am. I'm so glad that what you said um, a minute ago, that they made sure that they paid all of the cast because that's another thing that I'll get. If we're, if we're doing like street casting or we're doing casting where we're getting non-experienced actors, it's like, well, great, we can take that out of the budget as well. So it's really great to know that they found those people, but they paid them properly. That is always one of the first things to go, which is like so wrong because especially when they've influenced the story so much and like they, they've like, like, you know, created pieces of it. Um, it's yeah so so important so I'm glad that of the small budget that they did have it went in the right places when Maya talks about the film and like I wanted it to be this and like it sounds like she really like feels some ownership over it which I think is so good and it's quite obvious that Sean is also like that's how it's meant to be and it's like they've all made it together so that, I don't know, that just kind of got me thinking, like, do you think that that's something that should be encouraged by directors and that it should kind of be more of a shared out thing when you're making a film? When we were talking about Limbo and Ben Sharrock and we were, we had that conversation about, like, whose right is it to tell another person's story? Well, this type of filmmaking, obviously, you know, the actor can't always be super involved in the development of the script and the narrative, but... This is one way to tell a story and get something made, which does show like a part of society that maybe don't have access or aren't encouraged to filmmake. I think like being open to like sharing that credit is like really important, especially for a situation like this, because if you have you know, research things like very deeply with a person, whether they're in the movie or not, like that shouldn't only be kind of revealed if asked in an interview, like it should be part of like the whole, yeah, the whole run of the movie, I think. And because at the end of the day, when we sit here and talk about the film, like we have all of these questions 
kind of for that person, you know, whoever has been like instrumental in like the research or or whatever it is. And so for, for us to have to sort of seek that out, like it would be wonderful if those people were, well, it sounds like in this movie, like that's exactly what happened with Kiki, which is really cool. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Now, it's time for In In the the Club. Club. So now it's time for In the Club, uh, where we ask you for questions about the films. When we ask for questions about this film, we got a really really lovely email from Chris Hamilton who has actually sent us emails about a lot of the films that we talk about and has some really good insights onto the film I think maybe we need to get Chris on the episodes guys (laughs) season three yeah (laughs) Um, so Chris's first question was how did this film do overall representing the cultures it portrayed? Asking from the perspective of someone who isn't familiar with trans or Armenian culture or life in California. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Chris. First of all, I love Chris. <laughs> I see him chatting on our um, Instagram all the time. And thank you so much for your really thoughtful questions and insights. We love it. Um, so we were speaking about this earlier in the episode about how the leads were involved in the making and the writing of the film. So I can't say if it is representative because I'm also not part of those cultures, but just from the filmmaking process, I think that's such a good way to make sure it is representative of those cultures that they're portraying. It's always nice to check, I think, that sort of thing and like, no, because you would assume that this was like very realistic, but... You, you just can't n- tell until you know that, you know, the people involved are also, like, heavily influencing the story. So, yeah, I think that's a great fact. I love that. Chris Chris also said uh, that he couldn't help but notice the use of homophobic and anti-trans slurs. Is that a part of culture and everyday life in the trans community? I also o- noticed the white characters using the N-word, but it only bothered me a little because it fit with the setting. Maybe trans people feel the same? Yeah, I feel like reclaiming words as a, as a way of empowerment is a thing that is used world ra- worldwide by all different people. For example, the word bitch is that's empowering to a lot of people to call themselves a bitch or their friends a bitch and whatever. Didn't you uh, did you make a documentary about that, Larry? Yes, I did, actually, Maisie. And it's called uh, Bitch. Because <laughs> I'm really inventive with names. <laughs> what were your findings from that, Larry? That, that, like, what were you trying to, like, what story were you trying to tell with that documentary? That yeah, it was just trying to figure out how pe- different people do use the word and if it, who it, if it's okay for certain people to use the word, why it's not okay for certain people to say the word, um, and yeah, kind of from that, it just really got 
me thinking and I hope a lot of other people thinking about the power of language and how it's you can be like well you do, if you say something it doesn't really matter but it really does it, like language is so powerful so yeah. it was yeah, it was kind of just about that um, like, what Chris is saying here about um, they're using homophobic and anti-trans slurs amongst themselves that's in no way saying to the viewer like come come to LA and call us this that's not that's not what it's saying it's very nuanced and um you should never say that word unless well I don't even know what the unless is I don't know what the answer is to that it's a really nuanced thing you just shouldn't you shouldn't <laughs> and that is the worry sometimes that when like if some people just don't get it at all that it's not okay for them to say it then they will see a film like this or listen to music or whatever and hear it said and be like well they said it so I can say it say it and they just don't get it and I don't know I think that's just a problem that we'll have until they get it and I don't know how to make people get it <laughs> yeah I feel like it's a reluctancy to get it mm, that's and true that's what's infuriating sometimes okay Chris your next question is the confrontation which I love the confrontation at the donut shop felt forced in my opinion how could Razmik not lie out of that all he had to do was go in and get a donut or a coffee and walk out when his mother-in-law walked in instead of staying around and letting the nonsense roll downhill agree because this is something that we spoke about earlier in the episode this is like some of the risk that you get, I think, when you make something which is really improv-led, that sometimes it feels like, well, like not, um, it doesn't make sense. And that to me also does not make sense. I will say though, I didn't notice it when I was watching it. I was just enjoying the exchange and I just wanted, wanted him to stay. So I probably didn't question it too much. But I think that Chris saying letting the ro the nonsense roll down the hill I think that happens a lot when you're watching something which is improv based yeah definitely improv based but I feel like that is something that happens in a lot of the time when I'm watching something that's fictional like horror films like why are you going upstairs exactly and things just being a misunderstanding and it being like infuriating because you're like, why can't they just talk to each other and figure out that they both like think the wrong thing? Or, yeah, it's like, okay, <laughs> going back, wild child. <laughs> like when the letter goes through the door and it's like loosely based on some of the emails that she sent, but it's all been like written by that school bully. And then all of the girls are like, we hate you. We can't believe you said this about us. I'm like, oh, that's so annoying. Cause it's not even true. Like she didn't even, she actually really likes you guys. And also like a big, a big famous example of when you're like, but why couldn't you have just done that is Titanic. <laughs> when it's like, why didn't he just, why didn't she just let him on the piece Door. of wood? Yeah, or whatever it was. And yeah. I, I know this is the like, way not to that scale where people are just like, why didn't you just blah? But I feel like you do get that in films a lot. One thing about this comment that could be a factor as to why it, it, it was how it was in the film is, um, I don't know if I said earlier, but Sean Baker said when he started to, uh, the, before he, he had written any of the film, is that he wanted it to end with a big confrontation in donut time. So he already had in his head that he wanted a big thing to happen there. So I wonder if that 
kind of played into this where it was just like, well, it's just got to happen there and that's what it's going to be. And that's why this has kind of happened. I see. More of the aesthetic of it. Yeah. And and same as what Hannah say, said, like I was actually just enjoying it and in real time hadn't really worried about the absurdity of it, you know. Yeah. Because I just actually really couldn't wait for this scene. But yeah, in hindsight, it's like maybe a little bit of a loophole. Um. So Chris is... Also, I just realised this is the Christmas episode. And we've got loads of questions. <laughs> we've got loads of questions from Chris, <laughs> Father Chris Hamilton. <laughs> so, the final question is: Why would anyone fight another person over Chester? <laughs> yeah, Chris got sass. But yeah, <laughs> I love that. Fair point. It's true. You're like, really? Yeah, it's a lot of fuss <laughs> over that guy. And then to tie it up in a nice little bow, we have a question from Bethan Eleanor H, who asks, why did you choose this as your Christmas film? LA is just not Christmassy. It's so funny. I'm actually in LA right now and I can vouch that it's not that Christmassy. I'm lucky that I'm staying in a house with people that are very Christmassy. And so being in here is like getting very cosy, but it, it's just not. I have, actually haven't seen that many Christmas films, to be honest with you. It's not your bag of, bag of soup, is it? <laughs> I, is that what I'm saying? <laughs> bag of soup. <laughs> it's not, not a bag of soup for me. If I'm honest, I recently watched uh, Love Actually again and realised how, like, it's actually like really problematic in so many places. And I really want to talk about it with you guys because I like love it. But now I'm like, oh no, I feel really bad for loving this film. I can't remember. I haven't seen it for so long. I just like the bit where Andrew Lincoln's standing with the signs. <laughs> well, that's problematic in itself because, like, she's a married woman and that's his. <laughs> Yeah, and he's going, this Christmas, I'll stop now. And she runs out and gives him a big snog. And it's like, well, either you're married or you're not. Yeah, but she was also like 17 when they filmed that. And her husband and Andrew Lincoln were like 34 or something. Like yeah, that. what the fuck? Also, when, I uh, can't remember his name, but the Prime Minister fires that girl so as he can date her. Oh, my God that's so bad oh my god I know that's really bad all of his storyline is like not okay it's just not okay it's not okay yeah there's a lot of bad stuff in there which I didn't realise until actually watching it again yeah it's funny to rewatch it with your woke mind on actually did not age as well as Legally Blonde really did not age as well as Legally Blonde it's not my bag of soup but I will have a bag of soup if you've got one I'm going to move on to final thoughts I'm going to start with my final thoughts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which are <laughs> so Sean has got another film called The Florida Project which came, which came out after this with a bit of a higher budget by the way I think it was two million so he got some money in the end um, <laughs> which I'd highly recommend watching and he's also got a new film coming out soon uh, called Red Rocket I don't know exactly when it's coming out but it looks pretty good so keep an eye out for that i didn't realize he directed the florida project oh my god yes yeah very good yeah my final thoughts would be i um 
I think like the more that I learn about Sean and the way that he works and the more well yeah just that the fact that this movie and so many of his projects are wholly what he wanted to say and do and even if that has come from like the people his his like stars of the movie I think that he's clearly doing something which is just like very unique and very like he's like a visionary right um and I think that is always really like wonderful to watch people who create things like that because everything is everything is like something else right now and with especially with everything that's being made from existing IP and you know, no new individual ideas or anything anymore. And so I think for that reason, like, I I love this movie. And I I actually, I haven't seen The Florida Product and I obviously haven't seen Red Rocket. So got to to see more. Yeah, I I love it even more that I've learned more about it. I loved it as a viewer, but just knowing all of the background and hearing more about his style and how he treats people fairly, but also like really has them involved and gives them the credit for that. Um, I love Sean Baker. So I want to watch more Sean Baker films. And yeah, The Florida Project is wicked also. Well, <gasps> Merry Christmas, gang. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode and it left you feeling somewhat Christmassy. That's actually us done for 2021. So we're going to be taking a little break over next week, having a bit of a chill over the holidays. But like, I hope you all are too. But we'll be back first Wednesday of the new year with the all-time classic Little Miss Sunshine. It was released in 2006, directed by Valerie Farris and Jonathan Dayton. um, And... If you haven't seen it already, then you're in for a real treat. And if you have, then watch it again. It's definitely a really good way to start the year. Stay updated with everything that we're doing on at Frank Film Club on Instagram. I hope you have a lovely holiday. I hope you manage to have a rest. And we'll see you on the first Wednesday of 2022. And enjoy Little Miss Sunshine. Bye. This podcast was presented by Wrapped. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.